everybody, welcome back to my podcast, Gaby Stories. This is season one, episode eight. The first episode called The Gin. The video call connected and my boyfriend smiled. First, I love you and I miss you. I can't wait until you get home. I love you too and I can't wait either. I peered at the computer screen. Where are you? I'm in the attic, Brody replied. When I put my archer equipment up, I found something cool. He purchased an old house in Houston in a quiet neighborhood that Cope would someday be our neighborhood. We did for three years now, and I thought he might propose after my college graduation. Check this out. He put a dusty chest under a dangling light bulb so I could see the inscriptions. It looked Arabic. He opened it and pulled out a triangle-shaped abdomen made of silver. It had the same markings. Next, a tiny sliding box that contained a bit of paper and wood and some undifferent chunks. Smells like jasmine, he said, sniffing it. The next item was a drawstring bag. He opened it and poured the containers in his pods. Ugh, toenail clippings. What the hell? Two things in the chest were tarot copies of quint in the box of glass. Ornaments? No. There's no place for the hook or string. They are three clear ones and this one. He held it out for inspection. It was a nicotine yellow. I swear the ball looks in his palms. It crossed to the floor and shattered. Something flashed like fire. Brody's curse. What was that? I cried. I I don't know, he said, staring at something out of the line of sight. He cooked his head, listening. Brody, he said. Then, Demeter? What? Demeter was his mother's name. Brody looked blankly at the screen, and I said, I have to go. Without another word, he ended the Skype call. I tried to call him back, but he didn't answer. He didn't answer that night. Finally, next morning, he did. I'm a little busy right now, he said, his voice heavy. Are you okay? Yeah, he said and ended the call. I heard nothing from him the next day, so I called his sister and asked her to check up on him. He called back an hour later. Her voice was gone when she said, Yeah, Elena, I saw him. He looked like a little rough look have you guys been fighting what no he just looked at me when i told him you were worried he was fine yesterday we were making plans for christmas break another hesitation he almost acted stone i've never known Bodhi to he doesn't ever. Well, just give him a day or two. Maybe he really is just busy with something. I'll let you know if I hear from him. But she didn't. I didn't either. He ignored my calls and texts. This was so unlike Brody. My stomach was in knots, and I don't know how I made it through finals. I thought about the strange things he found. I had to be connected. My grandmother was originally from Bangladesh and I'm Muslim. My father didn't practice any religions, but I taken class in Islamic traditions last semester. I loved the professor and dropped by her office the morning before my flight home. 
Alina, what a nice surprise. Her smile faded when I told her about Bodhi's fun and the strange video call. She went to the shelves and picked up a book, fumbling through the pages. She stopped and handed it to me. Did the mockings and below look like this? Yes. What is this? We didn't discuss it much in class, but the coin holds the three spectacles creations of Ella. Angels and humans and jinns. The objects you desire were used by magicians to control and use jinns to do their bidding. Sometimes they trap these creatures in glass balls. A jinn, I laugh. You mean a genie. The things you describe are evil magic, you said. He repeated his mother's name. The legend is a magician who needs three things from you to discuss you and the demon a name your mother and a chance of hair nail clippings you don't really believe in genies she looked at me for a long moment and then said i'm sending you an email with passes to read to war off the jane's possession when you see Bodhi, why don't you just try and elena be careful i laughed off her warning but my heart felt heavy when I knocked on Bodhi's door that afternoon, he opened it and on the third knock. His appearance shocked me. He looked tired, unshaven. He started, stared at me as if I was a stranger. Brody, what's going on? Something flickered in the hall behind me, like the aftermath of a candle flash. I swear for my instant, I saw a woman made of flames. He glanced behind him and then back at me. You should go. He shut the door in my face. I waited till nightfall and took the hidden key to let myself inside. The house was quiet as I crept through it, searching for him. When I peeked in the bedroom, I gasped. Brody laid perched on all the beds, staring at the ceiling. The flamed woman sat on top of him. Her head whipped round when she heard me, and she hissed, revealing a pair of inch-long things. I ran. Through the house, doors sounded like gunshots and they slammed. The front door went open. I screamed and jumped on it. She was coming. The attic ladder was down, so I lunged up the steps. I dug out myself and tried frankly to open the email for my professor. Through the opening, Brody and the Flint woman stared up at me. The door swung shut. I've been here for hours. I screamed the passenger of my instructions I said until my voice and my cell battery died. Now I smell smoke. Wow, that was a really scary first story. She was, I could hear Taff running. She was in the kitchen. 
as the master of the rock slowly carefully across the hardwood floor. The rust of running water grew louder, and then I heard the sound of someone talking. Did she have visitors? I took a few more quiet steps. Now, soon as listening to a podcast over the speakers. I stuck my head around the corner and there she was at the sink, her back towards me. Her long brunette hair pulled back into a bun. I took a deep breath. It was hot in there under that heavy mask, but I couldn't take it off, not till it was done. It was time. I moved quickly until I was right behind her. I reached out and grabbed her shoulders. She snapped her head around as she got a look at me. I smiled behind the mask to see her eyes go wide in fear. I was prepared to end it there, but she screamed and dropped a knee up right into my balls. Oof. As I was hunched over, she gave me a shove and I crashed into the island behind me. I stumbled to the ground in agony. I looked in real fear as she twirled around, grabbing a knife from the sink and raised it up. Hold on, I groaned, pulling my mask off. It's me. Once she saw me, she froze, the giant knife still there up in the air. I could tell that my wife was not very impressed. What the are you doing? She asked. Where the did you get that creepy mask? I coughed, still holding my hand up in the air and pleaded. For mercy, down in the basement, I think it was Dad's. I said I was just trying to give you a little scare for fun. Jesus, Bill said Debbie, I was ready to kill you, and honestly, I'm still not quite decided on that. There's not a jury in America that would convict me, not after they saw that creepy mask. But put the knife down, honey, I said. So he threw the knife back into the sink and bent down. I was still coming in pain on the floor. Let me see that, he said, picking up the mask and then examining it. I guess that it was made of stone. It was perfectly round with two round eye holes at level, just different enough to cause a sense of unease. There was, a, as I mentioned, a slit for a mouth. A row of sharp teeth was inched above and below the mouth, and then another row on top of those. It's heavy, said Debbie, and looks ancient. Do you think your father found it in one of those his exhibits? Yeah. I said, staring, starting to recover a little. It was stashed in a box in my basement along with a knife that looked like it was made of bones. I was going to bring up the knife with me, but I'm glad I didn't. We should get it assessed, said Debbie, running her fingers over the mast. Could be worth something. I'm sure of it, getting to my feet on rubber legs, but I was hoping we could keep it, at least for a while, as a memento of my dad, I mean. If we ever need money, then yeah, we'll look to selling it, but we don't need money right now, not after the inheritance, and well, I just still miss him, you know? Plus, it's a cool mask, isn't it? A good conversation starter. She handed the mask back. It's creepy. It scared me, she sighed. If you want to hang it up somewhere, it's got to be your study, someplace where you don't have to look at it. It was Roger Wendell's retirement party. Old Roger has been my father's friend since they both started teaching at the college where I now taught. They 
spend many of the evenings sleeping at Scott at my father's house, where I now live. So when he finally announced his retirement, it only felt right to host the party. Derek Nelson was in attendance. He was about my age and also taught me to college. It turned out that we actually grew up in the same town, a few years apart. Well, my life has been a pretty easy street since day one, born to a well-off professor and following in his footsteps, his has been anything but. He came from a working-class family and had lost his father at a young age. He never talked about it, but I knew that his childhood has been rough, yet he had called himself out of life of misery to find his success in the academic world. Most of the other professors at the college were the same as me, born and bred in the academic world of soft pillows and fantasy cars. Derek stood out to me and we became fast friends. On the evening of Roger's party, as soon as I saw Derek walk in, I excused myself from the complication that I was having and went to the fridge to grab two beers and found Derek. Come on, I said. I want to show you something. You appreciate this. Derek took the beer and popped off the cap with a lighter. Sure thing, but he said. I led him to my study and I found the mask in the box of the old man's stuff. Check this out. I pointed the mask hanging on the wall. The bone knife was mounted just below it. Derek dropped his beer on the floor and went white. Is this some kind of sick joke? He demanded. What? What do you mean? A joke? Look of fear on Derek's face made him start to feel scared. It can't be the mask, can it? It's unsettling, but it's not terrifying like that. I need to sit down, said Derek. Sure, bud, I said, wheeling my desk chair over to him. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to scare you. I just thought you were going to get a kick out of it. Derek looked at me intensely. Tell me right now if this is a joke. I never told you about this, but maybe you found out anyway. I don't know what you mean, I said. I need a drink. Sure, sure, beer? Something hard, said Derek, now staring at the mask in bewilderment. I'll be right back, I said, over the spilled beer and headed over to the liquor cabinet. Maybe it was there talking to someone. I was starting to feel a little dizzy and things were blurring together. Where did you get off to? asked Debbie. I showed Derek the mask. I said, it uh, didn't go well. I pulled out a tall scotch. We should really get rid of that thing. It's creepy. I gave a vacant nod and went back to my study. Derek was still sitting there transfixed on the mask. I had the scotch and he looked at me with a start and downed it in one gold. Then began. 35 years ago, my father committed suicide. Oh, I said, looking down at my shoes. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I don't tell people that, and I definitely don't tell them what happened after that. Look, can you just bring the bottle in? I was glad to get out of the room for a moment. Things have gotten intense in here. I need to know why Derek had such an extreme reaction to the mask. He was my friend, so I wanted to support him. I just didn't know if I was capable of hearing whatever he was going to say. I needed the ball as much as him. Also, I thought at the time, and I was right. I grabbed the ball from the liquor cabinet and went directly back to Garrick. 
I handed it to him and took a good swallow. The corner looked like father's dead suicide. Open and shut, he said. No need to waste money on an autopsy, but my mother had different ideas. Do you know where my mother is now, Bill? No, I said. She's in a place where they pad the rooms and shrub on color books all day. I took a drink and passed the bar back. Derek, I'm sorry. Derek laughed. It was a strange laugh, devoid of all humor or emotion at all. She said that a masked man did it. She said she came in to find the masked man holding the bone knife, watching my father bleed out in the bathtub. She passed out and he was gone when she woke up. I looked at Derek in shock. What are you saying here? Derek took two swallows from the ball. I'm saying I've seen the mask before. My mother had drawn it a thousand times. The round face, round eyes, the double teeth, that knife too, the bone knife. I heard the words that he was saying, but I couldn't process them. Now you're the one with me, I said at last. I gotta admit, poor man there, you had me. Now come on and pass the port over here. I'm calling the police, said Derek. Then he did. Parents had the basement redone. I was 10 years old. It was an old house, so the foundation used to be set on boulders with a dirt floor. It started to fail, so they spent a lot of money to have it all reinforced with concrete. A thick slab was put onto the floor. The bodies were more difficult to find, and nurses have been inched into the wet concrete, and when the floor was broken apart under police's orders, each victim was resting right under his or her initials. 11 bodies in all. And those were only the ones in the basement. It's not clear how many there were, like Derek's father that never made it down there. All of a sudden, my father's late nights at the office when I was a kid started to make sense. We've since moved out of the house, and it's on the market. Nobody would buy it. I don't blame them. Derek won't return my calls. I don't blame him. I never did anything wrong, but my father did things that were very wrong, and I'm his son. I wish I never found that mask. Wow. I didn't expect that ending, but that is a good story. The man in my bedroom window. For as long as I can remember, there has been a man in my bedroom window. It seems strange to say I know, but it's true. From the earliest, fuzziest memory I have all the way up to now, he's been there looking at me. In my first memory of him, he was an instant blurry blob that was only vaguely a man shipped. My young mind didn't think much of it and hardly put much effort in understanding it. The man has always been there, standing motionless aside from the slight swaying motion that could have been a trick of light. He didn't really do anything and his presence hardly gave off any sorts of threatening vibes. He was simply just a constant passion presence in my life. Much like the sun and moon, I simply accepted the fact that he was there, just always there. It wasn't until I was seven years old that I realized his presence wasn't a normal thing. 
went for the very first time he moved. I didn't really notice at first as I wandered sleeplessly into my room that night. I quickly changed my pajamas and slumped into bed as usual. I made a point not to look at the window at all during this process. I was kind of used to the man's constant presence, but the idea of him watching me change still made me a bit uncomfortable. It helped his symbols pretend that he wasn't there as I got ready for bed. As soon as I was snuggled up in bed, though, I would turn to face the window to say goodnight. Much like other young children might say goodnight to a moon, it was then that I saw his unusable instant's hand, which seemed a lot more solid as it pressed firmly into the glass, causing the room to crack under the pressure. Startled by this, I rushed to tell my parents the look on their face when I told them that the man on my window moved. Were confused at first, they noticed full horrified. They rushed to my room, my mom carrying me along in her arms. When we got there, the man has returned to his usual position, standing mostly outside the window. When I tried to explain to my parents, despite being back to normal, the man had definitely moved. They gave me a strange sort of look. However, a flash of understanding passed across my dad's face, and he learned in to whisper something into my mom's ear. She nodded in response, and they both sighed in a visible relief. I continued to try to frankly explain, but she just gently shushed me as she laid me down back into bed. I still clearly remember what she said to me in the night it's okay honey you just had a bad dream there's no man standing outside your window it took a couple of views and a few trips to psychologists and more than a few unpleasant encounters with the kids at school however eventually i learned to not talk about the man at my window i learned that telling others about it would hardly do me any good as there wasn't exactly anything i could do to prove that he exists Nobody but I could see him, and there was no way any physical interactions with him. He didn't usually exist on the outside of the window. I was more like he was a reflection or some sort of image projecting directly onto the window. Left with a little else to do, I simply shut out about it. Eventually, some time, everyone else in my life simply forgot about it. Passing the whole thing off as just an odd childhood behavior, I never forgot though, of course, and I definitely never stopped seeing him. I did some research, of course, to try to figure out what the man in the window was. The best guess I could come up with was that he was a ghost or spirit of some kind of mostly because it was only option I could find that made much and any sense. However, I couldn't seem to find any information on any other instance of someone experiencing a similar situation. None of somewhat disparate methods of either communication or getting rid of the man had worked either. I eventually just gave up and went back to ignoring him for the most part. It wasn't like worrying about his complete presence or aggressive insistence in my life would do any sorts of it. Things would go on like this for quite a while. Years passed, my family moved to a new house and a new state. In my high school years, I had entered the possibility that the man might disappear or left behind as a result of our move. 
but I wasn't given disheartened to find him resigning with my new bedroom window. The first night after our move, eventually I moved away from college and into one campus dorm. That followed me there as well. College would eventually come to an end and shortly after I moved into my current apartment. At this point, I could, I would have been more surprised if the man hadn't followed me there. Over the years, his constant presence would be unchanging. However, there was something about the man that was slowly starting to change over time. I thought it was just my imagination at first. However, I've slowly become the clear that this wasn't the case. As the time went on, the man was steadily becoming more and more clear and distant. Much like his haircut, it was a very slow building, but but become more obvious over time, I began to be able to make out some details about his appearance, the length, the general shape of his hair, the color of his clothes, things like that. As the of late, I have been able to somehow make out the style of his clothes he was wearing as well, while buttoned up and a pair of jeans to be specific. Despite this, for the longest time, I wasn't able to make out any of his facial features. No matter how clear the rest of him would become, his face would still remain suddenly blurry and instant as my early memories of him. Other than th- the, that, though, it seems like nothing much else has changed. And their things would have simply go on as normal. That is until last night. In the middle of the night, I woke up to the sound of banging. It was despised a sort of racket, as if whoever was doing it was trying their very best to make as much noise as possible. The thought at first that it was someone at the front door, but I quickly realized that it wasn't the case. The sound was much closer to that. I finally turned the gaze to the window and realized that it was him, the man in the window. I recoiled in fear, terrified by the sudden violence. It was then the most I ever seen the man move, and certainly the most threatening he has ever seemed. It took me a long time but moments of panic and breaths and adrenaline, but eventually I realized that he wasn't able to get in. Rather, it seemed more like the man wasn't even trying to, as if he was simply trying to get my attention. Having calmed down a bit, I decided to test the theory. I rose from my bed, putting on my glasses as I went to draw closer to the window. Lo and behold, the man sees his banging. His body language, however, was still panic and fearful. I couldn't tell since I still couldn't see his face, but it almost seemed as if he was trying to yell something to me. However, he seemed incapable of speaking in a way I could hear, and I had no way of attempting to read his acute lips. This quickly started to change, though. The man was clearer than he has ever been before, so clear that you could almost convince me he was just a reflection. He was becoming even clearer by the second, and for the first time ever, I was beginning to be able to see his facial features. It stood around the edges, giving me the idea of his general shape of his face. 
Then it started to draw in closer towards the center of his face. The more Alan revealed, the more familiar Fernandy come. So familiar it was eerie. The familiar shook me very cold. I knew the man. It was me, and he was screaming, Run! I am writing this from the first train out of town that I was able to get tickets for them this morning. A part of me thinks that I'm beginning to spit silly for doing this. However, an even bigger part of me thinks that I have been an idiot to ignore the man's, to ignore my warning. I don't know where I'm headed or I haven't exactly been given a clear instruction on where to go. All I can do at this point is to hope that I'm headed away from whatever I should be running from. I suppose I'll just have to see what the man in the window says tonight. Wow, that is a creepy story. I had no idea that man in the window was handling it out of time. I just don't know what to say about that story. Well, everybody, that's the end of my podcast episode. This has been Season 1, Episode 9, and I'll see you guys in my next episode.